Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 76 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. Now, we're back a hell of a lot quicker than you thought we were going to be back because we only had a podcast out last week, but uh, so much to tell you about that we thought, hey, let's chuck in an extra one, why not? So I will be hopefully joined a little bit later by my very own boy Wonder Martin. But for now, I am going to dive into a couple of the biggest news stories that have broken in the last seven days. Amazing news for Harley Quinn fans, as HBO Max has announced, just two weeks shy of the season finale of season three, that the series will be returning for a fourth season. The fourth season will have a brand new showrunner in the form of Sarah Peters, who's been a writer on the show since season one, as executive producers Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpin take a back seat for the next few episodes, presumably so that they can work on the Noonan's spin-off starring Kite Man, which has also been ordered to series. Now, Schumacher has also tweeted to say that season four is coming sooner than we think, so I would not be surprised if they didn't produce uh, 20 episodes when they were kind of, I was about to say shooting, but recording season three, And they probably recorded season three and four back to back. So I would imagine we'll have a couple of months wait, almost like the gap between seasons one and two. And then Harley Quinn will return for a fourth season. We are yet to find out when season three will air in the UK, but we will keep you up to date because we can't wait to watch this new season properly. From what we've seen, it has been something incredibly special. We've got our first look at the brand new Pinhead from the upcoming Hellraiser film, which is going to be streaming on Hulu in the US and presumably Disney Plus in the UK a little later this year. Directed by David Bruckner, some new photos were shared in Entertainment Weekly, which include our first look at the brand new Pinhead, who is played by Jamie Clayton. So this is a slight change from the original Pinhead, uh, who was played uh, by a male actor, they're now being played by a trans female actor. But as David Bradley, who played the original Pinhead, pointed out, he wore a dress anyway. So what's the difference in making it played by a, uh, a woman or a man? The, the new Pinhead, if you've seen the picture, if not, check it out on our social media, looks pretty uh, pretty scary. Pinhead is definitely a point of uh, fear from my childhood. However, Hellraiser is an absolutely brilliant film. Uh, this new Pinhead looks equally as creepy and can't wait to see what she's like in action when the film arrives a little later this year. I'm not going to call this a reboot because it's it's not. They've said very clearly it's not a reboot. It is another film in the Hellraiser franchise. Hellraiser, I've gone Scottish. Uh, <laughs> the synopsis is a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of an ancient puzzle box, unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites, a group of sadistic supernatural beings from another dimension. The film also stars Odessa Azion, I hope I pronounced that right, who is playing uh, the the young woman who is the this kind of struggle struggling um, addict who is going to come into possession of the box itself. We haven't seen a trailer. There has been a teaser which just tells us that the film is uh, you know arriving a little later this year. Um, we are waiting for news on when we're going to get to see it in the UK. But my God, I cannot wait to see what they do with this. I kind of wish it was a shudder, but given that uh, Hulu were the creative kind of driving force behind bringing Predator back in Dan Trachtenberg's Prey. Let's hope that they are two for two when it comes to Hellraiser. We're going to be keeping a very close eye on this one, so stay tuned for more news on when you'll be able to watch it here in the UK and trailer coverage and all that jazz 
If you don't already, then please follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GetYourComicOn. And if you're interested in following me, then I'm at NeilVag. That's N-E-I-L-V-A-G-G. Now, later this week here in the UK, we get the release of Tom George's mystery crime movie, See How They Run. This one's got a massive cast, which includes Saoirse Ronan, Sam Rockwell, Adrian Brody, Ruth Wilson, Charlie Cooper, Harris Dickinson. It's a massive ensemble cast. Uh, Think kind of Knives Out-ish in a fun murder mystery type uh, London West End set crime thriller. I actually haven't seen this film yet. As I'm recording this, I'm going to be seeing it in a couple of days. We're going to the UK gala screening on the 6th of September. This podcast will be dropping on the 7th. So we'll we'll discuss the film itself in, a, in an upcoming episode. But James, returning after his amazing interviews uh, last episode with the producer and director of Beast, has attended the press junket for, for this very film. He was able to sit down with director Tom George and also actor Charlie Cooper, who plays Dennis the Usher, um, ominous name if ever I heard one. And he was able to sit down with both of them and have a chat about how this film came to be, what it was like shooting in London during the pandemic, and whether either of them were any good at figuring out who done it in a Who Done It movie. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to James, who's chatting with Tom George, the director of See How They Run First, and then over to Charlie Cooper, who, as I just said, plays Dennis the Usher. First of all, congratulations on the film. Um, I saw it this morning, uh, so it's all kind of fresh in my mind. Oh, great. Um, and it was a great experience. It was, uh, yeah, I really, really did enjoy it. And I think what it kind of did for me was reinvigorate um, this passion for theatre uh, that's always been there. Um, but I think with lockdown, where we weren't able to go and see our favourite shows, um, yeah. I think coming back to see how they run kind of reinvigorated that spark. And I was just wondering, as a director, um, especially for a production that is one of your first theatrical films, mm. also to go into it during lockdown, mm. what was that like as a director? Uh, <laughs> stressful? <laughs> yeah, uh, I bet. Yeah, it was... It's interesting because so many of the things that you've touched on are like relevant to this production, like not just the story of the film, um, but also, you know, I really feel like it's a film to go back and see in the in the theatres and in the cinema, you know, to um, to watch with groups of friends and family, because it's easy to forget the joy of like laughing with a with a group of your friends or, or your family or just a, a large audience in a room together you know it's just the total buzz um and also obviously making it in the heart of the pandemic was a blessing and a curse because on the one hand um you know things were stressful for everybody it was a really tough time um but on the other we were had this amazing opportunity to film in some uh, incredible locations and incredible theatres around London. So places like the Old Vic and the Dominion Theatre and the St Martin's Theatre, all of which make it into our film. Um, and and that was really special to like be able to go to those places. Um, bittersweet, of course, because their doors were closed at the time. But um, but yeah, it was it was nice to be able to give something back to them in a sort of financial sense, um, and also. Um, you know, put these iconic locations on the big screen. It was amazing. You never quite see them how, see how they run, kind of portrayed them, because um, everyone is so used to seeing them packed full of people. Mm. A, a bit more kind of, I guess, modernised in a way, because obviously this is set in the 1950s. Yeah. And it was such a 
wonderful aesthetics. It, it really kind of a love letter to the 1950s and also to um, theatre as a whole. Yeah. Um, and what was it? Um, what was it like trying to bring that aesthetic to life, not just in the scenery but also in the characters? It was all character driven and story driven. I think that's like where everything always starts for me. Um, and by that, I mean, it's the story of a partnership and it's the story of these two detectives played by Sam and Saoirse who are entering this world where they are completely out of their depth. You know, again, this world of London's West End theatre scene. And so it felt completely natural to me, or it felt like there was a great opportunity for storytelling to um, show these two quite monochromatic characters, Saoirse and her PC uniform, Sam and his detective's outfit, little colour to either of them, entering this vibrant, vivid world of um, of theatre land in London. Um, and a way to, yeah, add a visual layer to the storytelling. Um, and of course to show the other characters that we find um, throughout that scene in their own environments, you know, we tend to frame the characters quite clearly within the space around them, whether it be Mervyn in his sort of opulent, slightly uh, odd flat that he's curated himself, like his own sort of museum, or um, uh, Tim Key's character, the commissioner, in his, you know, Scotland Yard, his sort of noirish Scotland Yard headquarters. Um, it was just a gift in terms of a vibrant world that hopefully is great fun for the audience to enter and follow these two characters on their journey through that world. Yeah, I, I think everyone's going to really enjoy it and I think what's good about it is that it does keep you guessing. There are so many red herrings thrown at you and I think it's it's going to be a very playful trip to the theatre and um, I can't wait for everyone else to kind of experience it and see um, kind of gather their thoughts as well. Yeah, um, so Yeah, huge congratulations thank on you it so and, much. and thank you for taking the time. It's 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 been brilliant. It's yeah, really, really a uh, big honour actually being able to talk about this sort of stuff with you. Oh, thanks so, so much. No. Yeah, you know, I think it's like, it's above all, it's as I said, it's a, it's hopefully a film that will like reinvigorates people's appetite for like watching things together, whether that be theatre or film. It's like, that's an experience you can't get at home. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. For Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, congrats on the movie. Um, first of all, I saw it this morning, so yeah. I'm coming in here with a very f kind of fresh outlook on it. Um, I love Dennis. Oh, uh, Dennis was a great character. Yeah. And it kind of took me back to when I was a kid because uh, I wanted to be an usher. Yeah. Weirdly really? enough. Yeah. I, I don't know if it says much for my ambition as a yeah. child, but. Why? I love the theatre. Just love um, showing people to their seats. It was, it was the a thrill. Of <laughs> oh, like B12, just over just here. That, yeah. Shining I, a torch. It was something about the theatre kind of environment that um, really, really stuck with me. So I've always kind of been invested in, in the theatre. That's and, nice. Um, I was wondering what was that like for you in terms of um, kind of your memories of being in the theatre and how you approach that when kind of creating Dennis? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I'm not a huge uh, theatre goer. So it was sort of, I wouldn't say it's new to me, but... Um, yeah, I didn't really have a lot to tap into there, but it's, um, but I did do, I mean, the whole, you know, 1950s theatre is sort of, it's so like, visually it's so beautiful, yes. isn't it? Like the costumes and 
it's just a world you can really get transported into and that's what was, I don't know, I sort of, yeah, threw myself into that, I suppose. That's what kind of drew you in was yeah. the kind of visual state. I mean, it looks absolutely amazing. Everything from like just the costumes to the environments and obviously this was filmed during lockdown. Yeah. What was it like going around to some of the biggest and most spectacular venues in London and being able to film in them? Yeah, I mean, totally surreal, and especially when there's no one there. You sort of walk out on that stage at the Old Vic and you think of all the performances and people that stood in this spot and, you know, it does feel like you're being watched by all the sort of ghosts around <laughs> Laurence Olivier somewhere. But uh, no, really, like, really privileged because that won't happen again. Well, it could well happen, we could have another pandemic. But even being, because I was staying, I don't live in London, so I was staying in the hotel in central London when we were filming and all the bars and restaurants were shut, so I just spent the evening walking around the West yeah. End and on a Saturday night, it was empty, and it was just like so surreal and apocalyptic. Yeah, but yeah. amazing. What was the filming experience like? Knowing what was happening, kind of um, in the outside world, sort of thing. Yeah, it was weird because it's sort of it was like a first thing that a lot of us had done since COVID. So it'd been like a couple of years or a year and a half of nothing, and then suddenly doing this. So it was like the, it felt like the best thing ever because it was like the best way to, you know, uh, make these horrible three months go quite quickly, which is brilliant. But again, because you know, I spent two years not seeing many people, so learning to sort of socialize again in a work environment was really weird. But, um, but no, it's so incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think what really helped with it as well is the fact that it was um, a movie that kind of celebrated theatre. And I think we became, um, when we came out of lockdown, we soon realized that actually we somewhat take theatre for granted and it's so much more important to us than what people realise. So the Absolutely. fact that this is kind of like a love letter to it, I think was really, really special as well. Completely. In, in a way. And do you have any fond kind of memories, interactions? Because the cast is huge. The yeah. cast is so big. Were there any particular moments where um, you interacted with certain characters that you kind of hold close to you? Especially as it's one of your first kind of big, big yeah, productions I mean, as well. Yeah, I mean, totally, yeah. It's, it's nothing I was, I've ever been used to, so it's so strange in that respect. But, I mean, well, yeah, as soon as you find out sort of the casting list, you're like, wow, are these people I've watched on TV all my life. And people like Adrian Brody was just, and doing a scene with him, looking him in the eye and being like, God, he's actually here in sort of 3D, not through a screen. It was <laughs> just so strange and he was so lovely. But seeing him, how he works and... He's a phenomenal actor, like, God, you could learn a lot from him just watching him, yeah. But it's an interesting dynamic because um, I think your character had a lot of, um, as an usher, you kind of appear and interact with these different characters and it's really interesting to see how people respond to you um, mm. as an usher and as a character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was little nuances as well. Um, and I, I just liked seeing that being brought to the screen as well. Definitely. Um, and looking at... Who done it? Mm. Are you ever able to guess who done it with those sorts of films and stories? Normally, pretty bad to be honest. Yes, yeah, same, same. I sort of, I, but I think that's important. I mean, there's a lot of people that really annoy me who sort of like are so, like, you know, determined to find out who it is immediately. Yeah. I was like, just enjoy the, just enjoy reason. the ride, enjoy yeah. the ride. And yeah. I think that's a lesson for this. Just enjoy it and don't think you have to work it out straight away. No, no, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't. It doesn't punish you for not knowing. Yeah, exactly. I think as well, yeah. it's, it's like, oh, you didn't get it. Yeah. You must be a fool. I know. Um, 
but it, it was nice being able to kind of enjoy it and then suddenly all the pieces click into place. Definitely. Um, and yeah, it must have been a fantastic experience for um, for you as well and for the entire cast. And I think yeah. it's a huge achievement as well. Oh, amazing, thank you. No, it's, I mean, even knowing the ending, you know, as we were filming, it was sort of like, it's still, it's nice because then you work, you can see the process of how to get to that point and yeah. work it out, which is really lovely because it's such a precise piece of art doing a murder mystery, isn't it? You can't give away the game too quickly or too, and it's got to be satisfying. Like the ending has to be really satisfying, otherwise it just doesn't work. Doesn't work. So it's, um, so yeah, and that's all in the writing really and the execution, so good. Perfect, thank you so much. No, thank you. Well done to James on both of those interviews. He did an awesome job. I met up with him between interviews and he was absolutely smashing it that day. So congratulations and well done to him. They are both videos as well. So you can head over to our YouTube channel. Just search for Get Your Comic Con on YouTube and you can watch James sitting down with both Tom and Charlie to talk about the movie as well as his interviews with uh, Will Packer and Balthazar Comica from Beast. And you can also catch all of our podcasts and other stuff over there as well. Now, before we get down to business with some reviews, I want to talk to you about a very important competition which is running at the moment. The link to enter is down below in uh, in the description of this episode, and this is the latest of DC's big UK giveaways. So for the rest of this year, DC UK are giving away a bunch of massive prizes. Last month, we gave away a uh, trip to LA for a family or a group of four to check out Warner Brothers Studios and also go watch an exclusive screening of DC League of Super Pets. And this month, we have a very exciting gift, particularly for you foodies out there. So you will have heard uh, plenty of times on this podcast uh, about our trips to Park Row in central London. It is the DC-themed restaurant. It's the only, currently, DC-themed restaurant in the world. And it is a wonderful, wonderful venue, which is filled with Batman lore and just DC wonderfulness and some amazing food and people as well. I was recently there with Paul from DC World and Ben from DC TV Show on YouTube to celebrate the first anniversary of the restaurant opening and now we're giving one of you the chance of a lifetime to cook with one of the executive chefs in the restaurant itself. All you have to do is click the link that's in the description and fill out your details and you will be in with a chance to win an amazing night down at the restaurant itself. I'm actually going to be there again in a few days I think recording a radio show live from in the venue itself and uh, I have no doubt I will be back there for dinner soon because I can't stay away from the place. But if you want to win the chance to cook with one of the chefs over at Park Row then as I just said hit the link below and enter your details. Best of luck to you. Entries close on the 14th of September 2022. I will make sure to put that in the description. So if you're listening to this after the 14th of September, please do not enter. You can enter up to three times per person. So make sure you get in there as much as possible and give yourself the chance to win this amazing Money Can't Buy prize. And now I am joined by my very own Boy Wonder Martin for this next section of the podcast. How are you doing today, Boy Wonder? Pardon? You've been on for all the five seconds and you're already not paying attention. I know, I just have to wind you up sometimes. You need to own this next segment of the podcast as well because we're going to talk about The Lord of the Rings, semicolon The Rings of Power, which I haven't seen episode one of. I fell asleep during episode two and I didn't have a clue what was going on in episode three. So my knowledge of this show is it's very cinematic. So I want to hear from you what you think as a big fantasy fan and a big Lord of the Rings fan. How are you finding... The Rings of Power so far. Just, just clarify the title for me. 
Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. So that's Rings of Power. Well, there's there are, at this point there are powerful rings. By the time you get to the movies, there's only one ring. Well, I think I find at this point there are no rings. Oh. Why is it called the Rings of Power? Because this is where the rings get made. The rings. Is this the story of how they make the rings, it which is. becomes the one ring that's left in the Lord of the Rings, there, which should be not, called the Lord of the Ring? There are other rings in the realm of Lord of the Rings. I think this is a conversation around. for another day. I would like to know what you think of this televisual program, please. Okay, I'm just shining a light on your, on your ignorance. Oh, I am completely ignorant rings. when it comes to Lord of the Rings. I've never read it. I have seen the films. I like it when they fight, much like Game of Thrones. I like it when they fight. I don't really like when they talk. And what it is with fantasy, I just when it's dragons, swords, I just get a little bit bored. But you like Wheel of Time. But I liked Wheel of Time, and I like playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's very odd. There's just something about certain fantasy. Oh, the cats are having a scrap. There's just something about certain fantasy titles that I just can't get into when they're more talky than they are fighty. But we're watching this as it's going out on Amazon Prime, so no spoilers for anything that isn't readily available to watch at this point, so do not worry about that. But your opinion, are you are you enjoying it? Is it good? Is it living up to the hype? Yes. Loving it? Uh, I think so, yeah. How does this stack up against House of the Dragon, which we've not talked about on this podcast yet, but has aired three episodes. Episode four is airing next here in the UK. Again, we're watching this as it's on TV. Well, I say we, you, I'm not watching House of the Dragon. Um, how is it stacking up against that? You've got a lot of fantasy content on the television box right now. There is a lot of fantasy content. I'm getting a bit, quite a bit overwhelmed with all the fantasy. I'm quite enjoying it. <laughs> I'm not sure that those words go together. I'm overwhelmed but enjoying it. Well, it's not like a nice overwhelm because we've got Lord of the Rings. Should not have thrown that ball for the cat because now I'm going to run up and down the hall with it. But continue. Game of Thrones. I'm being a DM for Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, you are. But so how are the how are these two stacking up? Are you which one are you preferring at the moment? I think uh, I see a lot of people trying to compare them, and I. I, I they probably uh, yeah. I, I don't want you to compare them because they're very different beasts. But are you enjoying one more than the other? I think I'm probably enjoying Lord of the Rings more, just because I feel a little bit more connected to the source material, and you know it's finished. Yeah. Um. Not that it's a knock against Game of Thrones not being finished, but you know it's it's a more of a complete story, and it feels a little bit more satisfying to watch in a way. Uh, I'm struggling a little bit with Game of Thrones because of the time jump in this, but no matter we're talking about that. So we're talking about Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. rings, yes. Power. Uh, no, I, I really like it. I enjoy it. Now it's the story of Galadriel, Galad- Lady Galadriel, who is um played by that famous lady in the Lord of the Rings whose name I now can't remember. Oh, I don't know names. Kate Blanchett. Kate. Is that uh, Kate Blanchett? Yes. Oh, who knew? But this is a, it's not connected to the movies, right? Well, I suppose it's not... What's his name? Peter Jackson? It's not Peter Jackson. No, yeah. it very much is not Peter Jackson. But it is still Lord of the Rings. It's still in the world, in the ethos. So it is a... It's set in the first age. How long is that before the, the main story that people will know? So Lord of the Rings is the third age so oh so there's just an age and a half in between was well, about i think it's a thousand years in age oh right okay so it's a long time yes so she's quite old in lord of the rings yeah well i mean they also eternal anyway so yeah an old elrond isn't it yeah so it's that's a long it's a long time okay so the world is still relatively new and this is this a story that was written by tolkien or is this something completely original 
So it's pro- there probably isn't a single story. It's probably oh, is this part of the Silmarillion? So it'd be a bit about the Silmarillion and probably some of the Lost Tales as well. The what? The Lost Tales. The, what did you say before the that? Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Right. Silmarillion. Yeah. Um. Okay. And from what I saw of this, it looks like it's got a bit more of a mix of sort of action and talky 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 talky. This seems more action based, but more well balanced overall. Whereas I feel like with Game of Thrones, as as in Game of Thrones as well as House of the Dragon, it's not as well balanced and it's like talk, 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 fight! Talk, 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 talk. This feels like it's a bit more sort of well-rounded and well-written. Bit better pacing. Yes, much better pacing. Better pacing, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I believe this is one of the most expensive like TV series of all time, much like Game of Thrones is. Um, I mean, I can tell they've spent a lot of money on it, and this was there was a lot of concern around it being filmed in Ireland, not New Zealand. Mm, yes, because New Zealand is very much Middle Lord Earth's town, Middle Earth, um, and you can you can feel Ireland quite a lot. Oh, really? Well, I, I mean, I, I notice it, and they do play to it quite a lot as well. I think uh, there are, isn't one of the groups in the series speaking with an Irish accent. Yeah, they're not hobbits. Was they not? Are they not hobbits? Well, I'm not. I'm not sure. They've not said what they are. I think they're halflings in a way so oh. maybe they're early hobbits oh right okay oh yeah are you worrying that you're saying something that might not be right now i oh, know i'm a bit concerned now <laughs> did you have to venture down that territory uh so like cgi visual effects wise all excellent from what i saw yeah that's spot on and the orcs were pretty good as well what about the music we always know it's very important in this type of property how is the soundtrack oh, i do like the music it's not got the same punch as the the film music, but I know how much you love that music. I feel like it's very repetitive. Those three songs. I just feel like it does that for like three and a half hours. Oh, it's epic though, isn't it? <laughs> well, obviously the the composer is no longer with us, and that's why you've got Bear McCreary who's doing this, um, who is known for uh, The Walking Dead amongst many things. Um, I did find it interesting that they released the score soundtrack in full before the series was even out. That's a bit weird. Um, I did put it on the other night, but you... Well, it was so soothing, you'd have to send me right off. Um, Anything else you would like to say about The Rings of Power at this point? I think it's... Is it ten episodes, I believe? Um, And we're only three episodes in, so we're barely scratching the surface so far, but... Yeah, no, it's very exciting. I mean, it's gripped. We've got a bit of the history of Lady Galadria. We've got a bit of Sauron. So she... uh, Spoilers for anybody that's not watched it. Um, her brother is killed in the first episode and she has gone off on some sort of mission. Is it to find his killer or...? Oh, I mean, she's uh, trying to avenge, well, avenge him and kill she's Sauron, a... basically. Oh, so was was he killed by Sauron? Um, the yeah. Big, the Shredder? Yeah. <laughs> He's, yeah, sure. Yeah. Not Dracula. Dracula? Christopher Lee played the other one. That's Saruman. Saruman. Evil Dumbledore. E- yeah, Evil Dumbledore, yeah. Longer hair. Yes. It all, it all just starts that, I mean, yeah. there's Ian McKellen. Oh, he's a nice Dumbledore. Yes, obviously. I do know who Gandalf, Gandalf is. <laughs> I had to think for a second there. Um, so you would recommend this to, then? Do you, uh, are you enjoying watching this weekly or would you prefer a binge watch of this? I think I would prefer a, uh, a slightly elongated binge watch, like over a weekend. Not on a day. Yeah. Over like a couple of days. Where I can maybe watch like three a day. Okay, so waiting a week is tough, but you wouldn't want to lose it all in the space of like eight hours. Yeah. 
Okay, well, man, that makes sense. So Just I highly recommend it. Condense it down a bit more and sort of really mm. grasp it a bit more. Okay. As I think if you're not like a diehard fan, some of it may be a bit complicated to follow if you're having like a week between maybe. Uh, well, from just from the episode I watched, I'm I'm lost. Well, exactly. I mean, you were like, who's that? I felt like... In Is that this, a hobbit? So my interpretation of this week's episode was um, Lady Galadriel uh, travels to the city that could be um, that place from Game of Thrones where the throne is. King's Landing. King's Landing. Uh, but could also have been that place with the black goo from the Wheel of Time. Oh, yeah. What, the eye of the world? Yeah, it, it just felt like that city. I felt like they went to that generic seaside fantasy city. And... I mean, they were on an island, so... They just sort of walked around and that was it, really. <laughs> you, got a lot, you got a lot of nuggets. You met Isildur. Isildur. Isildur, uh, yes. Uh, who is the one that used to be in Hollyoaks. Yeah. <laughs> Remember I had this conversation with you? It's the guy... Oh, from years and years. From years and years in Hollyoaks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's done well, hasn't he? <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll come back to this one and circle back to it once the season is finished and we'll get Boy Wonder's thoughts on the rest of the season. Uh, less so my thoughts because they won't be very good. But you can catch new episodes of The Rings of Power on Prime Video every Friday. Friday? Mm. Well, I think we, we balance it. Your, your thoughts are just a bit random. Things are a bit incoherent. So between <laughs> us, I think we could probably manage it. And that is it for this episode. Join us again probably sooner than when you think uh, when we will be talking about um, Searchlight Pictures See How They Run, which is obviously in cinemas now. And you've just heard the interview with uh, Tom, the director, and Charlie, the actor from uh, the film, who plays Dennis, the uh, usher from the cinema. And we'll also be picking up on, given that we're heading towards October, some of our plans for New York Comic Con and uh, what to watch this Halloween. So until next time... Stay safe, stay well. Boy Wonder's now off to watch Hocus Pocus. Bye!